Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Jesus Christ, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your faithful servants whom you inspired to write this word that we have received. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin this morning by bringing greetings to you from our daughter church in Noonan. Had the privilege of preaching there last Sunday. The Lord is blessing them. They are growing numerically. They are praying for a pastor. Uh, We were able to ordain another elder there. So now they have two elders and they are looking in a few weeks to also uh, ordain some deacons, hopefully. So continue praying for them that the Lord would bless and prosper them. We come this morning to a letter that raises a lot of questions, not about these first verses, but usually when you start something on 1 Corinthians, everyone jumps to one of those unnamed latter chapters. So if you want to ask me, if you ask me, what do you think about, and fill in the blank of whatever thing you're questioning on, my response will probably be something like, I'm not really sure yet, but let me get back to you in a few weeks. There's a lot in this book. But it's easy to take 1 Corinthians among Paul's other epistles, but especially this one, and to drill down just on a few controversial things. Like, what does he mean by this? Or what does he mean by that? and actually miss what he's doing, which is writing a letter to a church that was in need of pastoral guidance. What does it mean to be a Christian in the midst of a corrupt world? That question was asked in A.D. 50. It's a question also that remains with us in A.D. 2023. 
Sometimes we're, we're tempted to think of the early church as a place of law-abiding, holy saints. Everyone was doing the right thing back then. I cannot tell you how many times I heard years ago, if we could only be like they were in the early church, well, let me stand here and tell you, I am so thankful I'm a pastor here and not in ancient Corinth. Absolutely. When you consider the problems the Apostle Paul addresses in this letter, you see that this church was something of a mess. But it's working, but working in the lives of his people was always a part of God's plan. It's not an aberration. He doesn't come to a place and say, oh, well, you all have it right. I think, I, I think I'm going to send the Spirit somewhere else because you, 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 you're good. Thankfully, that never happens. But working in his people, as I said, is part of the plan. It's, it's not something that he acquiesces to just because, well, you're just not where I want you to be yet. We're never and will never be where we should be. We will never be perfect here. But God working in his saints, him working through the church, is how he brings his kingdom to earth. So how do you remain pure in an impure world? How does the church shine as light when darkness is strong? That's what he's addressing. And so when we approach 1 Corinthians, I would ask you to approach it as one who desires to grow in walking with the Lord, not in one who will solve the mysteries of what everybody else should be doing, but they're not. Because if we, if we take that approach, if we take the, I'm going to get this right, and then I can go start a substack or a podcast, and I can tell everybody else what they're doing wrong, we're actually falling into some of the same traps that the church at Corinth was in. It would be great to live in a place where everyone was righteous, where obedience was supreme. But that's not what we have. That's not the kind of life we usually get to enjoy. It's certainly not the life of ancient Corinth. This Greek port city was a center of trade. And like all centers of trade, think of New Orleans, New York, places like that. Like all centers of trade, it was cosmopolitan. It included various religions cultures, and ways of life. It was conquered and then re-inhabited by Rome in 44 B.C., and Rome determined to, to take it from being a, a backwater place into, a, uh, into a haven for building up their empire. And they were successful. It was an economic powerhouse of the ancient world. It was a major seaport. So, so, so trade was constantly coming in. Transportation was a large part of their economy. In public, 
public religion, they were Greek. In governance, they were Roman. In morals, they were satanic. Wherever you have, and this is true throughout history, what I'm about to say, wherever you have great wealth and a lack of traditional moral standards, you have sexual perversion that will come. So not only, and you'll have though sexual perversion, that will be normalized, but you'll also have monogamous marriage shrinking and it becomes less, heterosexual monogamous marriage will become the unique thing in that place. In addition, sophistry, the ability of one to use rhetoric to convince anybody of anything was highly prioritized. It was needed when you have a place of a lot of business dealings, legal disputes, trade. You always want to make the best deal. How do you make the best deal? You convince someone that you are giving them a good deal, even if you're not. Now, sophists have always been around. They were around in ancient Greece and then in, in the times of the Roman Empire, and we still have them. Now, if you go, we don't have to, I'll just say you don't have to go very far. And you can hear people espousing all kinds of views that if you stand back and look are ab just absolutely ridiculous, but they can make it sound pleasing to the ear. In Corinth, making connections, getting ahead, building wealth were the priorities of the day. So what we call cultural Christianity was unknown. Now some people, when we look back, someone see this as a reason to leave. Why would you stay in a place like that? It's terrible. But the mere presence of evil is not a reason for the church to abandon its place. The light of Christ shines when God's people love, serve, and proclaim the gospel wherever they are stationed. And the mixed group who makes up the church will always be imperfect. The local church is not a club for perfect people or for people with identical beliefs. The church is for the people who are bound together in Christ, striving to embody our Savior on earth. It is a people who are sanctified and are being sanctified. All of this, though, can feel kind of meaningless when you yourself may feel like at times you are hindered at every turn. It's like if you remember the story of Pilgrim's Progress, the character Christian, if you ever, when you read that, it's, it seems like he, he comes to this major obstacle, this major difficulty, and he's, and he's striving and he's pushing and he's bruised and battered, and finally he comes through it, and then after he overcomes one obstacle, then you turn the page and bam, there's another obstacle, or maybe two. Say, when is this guy going to get a break? There's not many times in that book where you see Christian enjoying a pleasant stroll. 
Well, we prefer the green pastures and the still waters. That's the part of Psalm 23 we, we like. We much prefer those to the valley of the shadow of death. But sometimes, even in the placid places, wolves lurk in sheep's clothing. Satan takes no holidays, and no institution is off limits, including, besides churches, including Christian colleges, southern towns, and Christian businesses. Every place is a potential for attack. Now, this is not moral equivocation. Some institutions, some places are better than others. There are some cities and towns that are better to live in, that are more friendly to live in, or more, there are businesses that are better to do business with than others. But we must beware the temptation to think, if I could just get in the right place, if I could just join the right church, if I could just attend the right school, I could put my armor down. We're not living there yet. The day will come when you can put your armor down. But it's not in this life. This brings us to one of the most significant themes of 1 Corinthians. That is, finding righteousness in something other than Christ. We're always tempted to feel superior because we think once we found that right group, those people who have the same beliefs or those people who do the same works, we like to find our our righteousness, our, our justification in that. We look for everything around us in which to find our own vindication except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And where does that lead? It leads to division. Now sometimes, finding our our, our righteousness in something other than Christ, it looks like putting confidence, people putting confidence in particular leaders that they follow. And we'll get to this next time, but, but we can see right after, and starting in verse 10, he will plead against sectarianism. Some people in this church, in the church of Corinth, were following Peter. They said, we belong to Peter. Others say, we belong to Apollos. And, and some even said, actually, we belong to the teachings of Christ. Sorry, guys, we win. That's the trump card. It also shows up, though, in people taking pride in other things. Maybe it's it's not just the people that you follow. Maybe it's the fact that you've achieved more success. People in Corinth, they would form groups based on wealth. They saw it as a sign of God's favor. Some believed they were more righteous because they didn't eat food that was forbidden by the Old Covenant law. Some said, well, our our gifts, the gifts that we enact are more public. We demonstrate how righteous we are because we can prophesy. 
or speak in tongues or so on. There's no limit to what man will do to create their own standards or, excuse me, and look down on those who don't meet those standards. So, so that's one side of the coin when we find our righteousness in something else. It's the sin of pride or of vainglory. But then other times people will, when they build up these standards, whatever they are, they will then set up those standards and in turn ignore the plain biblical teaching. So they ignore what God says. They've created extra standards and they excuse not obeying what Scripture demands, things like abstaining from sexual sin, drunkenness, covetousness. So there's, there's plenty of correction offered in 1 Corinthians, but before Paul gets to the correction, he has encouragement for these saints. Even though they are or were messed up, God had not abandoned them. And He never abandons us, despite our sin. When you're looking down the barrel of another day and the temptations of home, of work, and the world, when you know you're weak and there is no escaping from your sin, from the sin in your own heart, what do you do? I mean, have you ever had the day where you wake up in the morning and you think, I really wish I could stay in this bed or maybe under it. And then someone comes at you with way too much righteous zeal and tells you something that let's just say it doesn't strike you in all the right ways. And you feel like exhorting them in something other than the name of the Lord. And then you look back at the end of the day and you say, that was the high point. That was the best. It just rolled on further down from there. And then you know you're going to have to wake up or go to sleep that night and wake up and do it all over again. And your heart is not beating with gratitude over the gifts of life. So what do you do? And because honestly, most of the time we know, even though we don't say it, we know my attitude is the one that stinks. It's not my spouse. It's not my kids. It's not my friends. It's not my roommate. It's not my boss. It's not my employees. It's really, yeah, theirs may stink too, but it starts with me. I poisoned everybody around me and I know it. Now, I'm not going to tell them that. But you know it. So what do you do? How, how can we stay sane in a crooked world when we don't even, when we have trouble staying sane with our own hearts? These opening words from Paul are the foundation for our growth. Unless you have 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, you cannot have the entire rest of the book. And it's not all correction, okay? 
there's wonderful things here. But in order to live, I don't just mean exist, I mean live the life that God gives. We have to learn. We have to hear what he says. But he, before he gets to that, he has words to hold us by. And these words in verses 3 through 9 are the foundation for our growth. So no matter who you are or what you've done, this is where God's children begin. I'm going to give you... Yes, I will... I promise you, it's brief. And when I say brief, I mean I just don't have a lot of notes for each one of these. I'm going to give you five things. Okay? Five things that Paul says to encourage the saints. Number one, you have received God's grace. Verses 3 and 4. You have received God's grace. God has brought you to this point because He loves you. It's not that you just saw this, this movement of the Holy Ghost and you just kind of latched on and now He's looking back and saying, oh my goodness, the people who will follow me. No. He looked at you and chose you and said, I want you to come with me. We're going to glory. There's a little bit more enthusiasm there than I intended. Y'all forgive me. <laughs> Sure, we sin. He desires to correct us, but His kindness, even in the correction, doesn't stop. So you have received God's grace. Number two, He has enriched you in the truth. He has enriched you in the truth. We see this in verse 5. God didn't leave you without the knowledge of Himself. He doesn't say, follow me, but you're going to have to figure it out. I don't have time to waste where you are in your immaturity. I only say that because I've actually felt sometimes when I was... Have you ever talked to someone and, and, and you're talking to them and you think internally, <clears throat> whether it's a child or someone else, you know, I've already explained this principle multiple times. I'm not really sure why it's not making sense. Could you help me? Or some variation of that. No. God gives us the truth, and then He gives it to us again. He doesn't leave us to figure it out totally on our own. He sends us the Word through preaching, through reading, and through the place we usually like to receive it the least, other people who speak the truth to us. We are richer because He gives us the truth. Number three, the third encouragement. Your life demonstrates that you love Christ. Your life demonstrates that you love Christ. Verse 6. Now, yes, we can concentrate on the bad parts of our lives. We know what those are. Hopefully, you know what those are. If you're not sure, ask somebody who loves you and they'll help you. 
But we probably know what the bad parts are. But still, Paul says, and I, and I, I need to read this verse. I, I won't read all of them. But he says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Your life, he says, demonstrates that you love Christ. God knows where you are. He knows where you're going. And He also knows how far He has brought you from where you were. If you've ever been frustrated by the point where you are, if you've ever said, why am I not further along in the course? Why? I should be there. And I know that God and all these other people must think, why is He not or why is she not here? Why are you still back here? Guess what? God knows where you are and He doesn't say, get with it. He says, let's go. Come on, let's go. He's with you. He takes you where you are and He brings you forward. So your life demonstrates that you love Christ. I'm not saying you're perfect. And Paul was certainly not saying that the church was perfect. But it does demonstrate growth in Christ. Number four. You are not lacking or beneath others in the faith. You are not lacking or beneath others in the faith. Verse 7. He does not, God does not leave us behind. He will, he will continue working. He'll continue bringing you along. And then number five, God will continue to strengthen you because He's faithful. God will continue to strengthen you because He is faithful. Verses 8 and 9. You need to hear this morning, God does not let go of His children. It's a simple point. God does not let go of His children. That means when we're looking at other people, when we may be tempted to say, why is this person not... No. You can't give up on others either. Because God is not finished with them. He's not finished with you. God will continue to strengthen you. Yes, we wander at times. But like the Good Shepherd, He goes out and finds us when we wander. He brings us home. The reason that one day we will be with Him in glory is because He is faithful. It's not because we actually are good enough. We're not. But He has us. And He doesn't let us go. So God will continue to strengthen you because He's faithful. In conclusion, do you believe the wonderful things God says about His children?
Have you received this word? Everything else that he, that he calls us to, everything else that he teaches us begins with knowing who we are in Christ. It's the privilege of every saint who believes in Jesus, the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Lord of all. Yes, your, your life, as mine, needs to change, just like the people in the Corinthian church needed to change. There are problems. But God's correction is not like an executioner talking to a prisoner. It's like a father teaching, encouraging, and disciplining his son. The difference is the relationship. So how can we not just stay sane but thrive in a corrupt world? Trust in Jesus. Not just as the lawgiver, who he is, but as your Savior, the one who fulfilled the law on your behalf. Follow Him wherever He leads. Let Him work in you and enjoy His blessings. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And I pray that as we receive it now, that you would work in us and accomplish what you see fit. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.